Hey, everyone. Before we begin today's episode, we wanted to say that Black Lives Matter. There are many ways to put those words into action, but if you want to do so monetarily, then we suggest donating on Act Blue. In the description to this episode, we have a link that will split your donation between multiple worthy organizations that are fighting against systemic racism and oppression. Any amount helps. Thank you. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast on the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Danny Heifetz, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and my co-Danny, the hero we need and the analyst we deserve, Danny Kelly. We are also joined by our producer extraordinaire, Craig Horlbeck. Guys, Dalvin Cook wants a contract extension, or he will hold out. Did you know that Dalvin Cook was second in the NFL last year in yards from scrimmage per game after Christian McCaffrey? That is an interesting point that you make, and I actually saw another interesting uh, stat from Mike Clay at ESPN today that said that the Vikings, taking into account game script, were the most run-heavy team in the NFL, which I thought was very, very interesting. Go go check out Mike Clay's Twitter account because he's always got these really good stats, but basically shows you when you take into account like all the game script, who's leading, and, and all that. Um, actually said that Minnesota, Baltimore, and Tennessee, which is probably not too big of a surprise, were the three run-heaviest teams in the NFL. So that obviously helped Alvin Cook. And then on the other, on the flip side of it, KC, Atlanta, and New Orleans were the three pass-heaviest teams in the NFL. So anyway, I just found that interesting. And when you when you asked that question, that was the first thing that came to mind. Do you guys think that Mike Boone and Alexander Madison, the backups of Dalvin Cook, do you think in the back of their heads they're like? If he holds out for three games, maybe I could get some reps. People could see me. Good for my future. Do you think part of them ever thinks about that? Or are they like, <laughs> they're pay like the man kind, right now? Kind of excited. Uh, yeah, they're like, eh, it wouldn't be the worst thing if he <laughs> held out for three games. Honestly, I think every every player in the NFL is probably a little bit selfish in that way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, all they, people, obviously I mean, they want their shot and they want their chance to get those reps. <laughs> so yeah, I would say... They outwardly they're going to be like, man, pay the pay the guy his money. Because- but a little bit of them is like, eh, maybe three games too late. <laughs> I mean, look at Austin Eckler last year when when Melvin Gordon held out. Yeah, his uh, career took off. Yeah, so I mean, I yeah, I get it. Yeah, obviously Austin Eckler is going to come out here saying, you know, we're going to take this one day at a time. You know, I, I I'm just focusing on me, what I can control. But obviously, <laughs> it it has occurred to him that it's a life changing moment for either Mike Boone or Alexander Madison to get the job. Like, you know, just don't admit that out loud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but today we're going to look at draft strategies because season's three months away. Yeah, the, uh, June is when people start waking up and they're like, oh, crap, yeah, I, I got to start doing fantasy stuff. And I, I draft strategies just seem like a good way to get a big overview of, I mean, how the season looks. But, you know, how do we look? How do we go into drafts every year? What are our usual thoughts? And then how do we apply those things for this specific season and how we're feeling about players this year? So. Honestly, though, we're doing this because Craig has found a newfound obsession. (laughs) So, Craig, why don't you take it away? We're going to get into what our personal draft strategies are that we've kind of followed throughout our fantasy careers. But I've been reading a lot about Zero RB, which is kind of a hip, trendy... um, It's the Brooklyn, I would say, of fantasy draft strategies. And I find it really intriguing. And I wanted to kind of dive into that and also just kind of go through what you guys do every year in your draft like what rules do you live by 
Yeah. First to start off, I, I want to tell. I want to say something. It's not quite trendy because it has been around for a while. And yes, but nobody. I think it's does like it. making a comeback is more accurate. Like this okay. year, especially. I mean, I think you're, first of all, you're not wrong. It is kind of like the trendy thing to do right now because right now, by far, the thought is you got to go running back heavy in the draft because those guys are so few and far between. If you don't get a CMC, you know, Barkley, whoever, some of these top guys, Dalvin Cook, then you're screwed. So there's definitely yeah, there's is a that huge drop off. People yeah. say it's it's really heavy up top. Um, but going back, like it's it's been a it's been a strategy that's been around. I think I think Sean Siegel kind of popularized it in 2013 and I was just listening to a Rotoviz podcast this morning about it where he won like hundreds of thousands of dollars using this using this strategy and it, it's very contrarian and part of the reason we want to talk about it today is because it's kind of it's almost like it doesn't feel logical but no same, it makes no sense if on the surface yeah but at the same time it is it has been effective for people that use it I think you do require a little bit of luck in terms of, you know, guys getting hurt and, and things like that. If you, if, you know, if it's going to work for you in certain scenarios, but, um, basically any strategy requires a little bit of luck because, well, yeah, bef before we dive into, before we dive into what zero RB is, DK, what do you normally do when you're going into a fantasy draft? So this is probably not a great strategy. Maybe I should revise <laughs> it, but I kind of like to play around with different ones for different teams. It's like part of the reason part of the reason you have multiple teams is, you know, you're not just picking the same guys on every team and hoping these specific guys work out. Obviously, you have your favorites every year, but um yeah, so long story short, I don't really subscribe to any one strategy. So you let the draft come to you. Yeah, I would say I definitely would say like my overarching philosophy is to pay attention to value, but also I don't pick guys that I just don't think are good or that I don't like. And I just kind of, that's like my strategy is like... Yeah, but what it, about if value comes? Like, if you hate a guy, will you never get him, even if he comes in, becomes incredibly cheap? If he becomes incredibly cheap, yeah. Then that's when you take him. It's like when, you know, for instance, this year, maybe like Todd Gurley falls really far in a draft or yeah. something like that. You grab him because he's still going to get volume or whatever. But ultimately... Um, it's kind of a cliche and a kind of a joke, but just pick the right players and you're in your team. Would be great. But <laughs> well, my friend and I were joking about this, that at the end of the day, no matter how smart anyone gets, like if everybody in the world became fantasy experts, it's pretty much just like your players just have to play well. Like there's almost like, no, you just have, they just all have to play well. There's almost no strategy. There's no order that you could put your guys in. You can try and finagle it, which is why I'm kind of obsessed with zero RB now. But like, it doesn't matter the order you do. Just like you just have to pick guys who fucking play well. The other thing, the other <laughs> thing that I think it's very interesting, and Scott Barrett from Fantasy Points wrote about this recently, and it's the upside wins championships idea, mm -hmm. where instead of trying to play this game like it's your stock portfolio and you don't, you just want to hit singles mm -hmm. and singles and singles and make sure you're not losing money and all that. Like fantasy, you, who's playing to get like fourth place? You know what I mean? In what's the difference between fourth place and last place, really? Other than I guess you have if you have a like a more hope that was crushed if you later. If you, if you have something that you have to do if you lose the league, then that might change your strategy slightly. But True. if you have like a punishment or whatever, but at the same time, like what is the difference between fourth and last? Like you might as well swing for the fences. So if you get eleventh place four out of five years, but you win the fifth one, is that fun? Like, or is it more fun to just be fourth every year and you're in the playoffs and you're in every year you're fighting for it? You this isn't argue. a question. It's if you have a chip, you have a chip. You're like, right. It's about but the if, chip. But if you if you're eleventh four out of five years, you're, if you're miserable. You've come, if you've come in second five years in a row, 
then it's so much worse than the one guy in your league who has one championship and has been in the last place bracket every like not winning the difference between your first like you never forget your first everyone remembers the first fantasy championship it's a life-changing moment <laughs> it's all about the chip so but craig i'm craig how do you what's your draft what's your mindset in a draft maybe that's a better question I realize that I, I end up trying to be balanced across all platforms. Like I, I try and have a little bit of everything. I've never, just like I went back and looked you can, on Yahoo. You can just go see all of your old teams. I never really stack one position, which is why I, I'm intrigued with zero RB this year. I might try and do that, but I usually end up trying to go like running back receiver, running back tight end receiver, like something like that and try and have a nice balanced offense. It makes me feel good. feels like I hit every corner. And then I also love handcuffs. I love to grab like Alexander Madison's Tony Pollard's just because, you know, I'm not hoping, but if a guy gets hurt, like that's, that's season changing. And I'd rather have those guys than a guy who's like a shitty starter that right. I might not even play anyway. I'd rather have the handcuff. And I literally will hold, I will literally hold on to Tony Pollard for 16 weeks if he never plays. Just <laughs> waiting for Zeke to twist his ankle. Hi, Fitz, what about you? It's a little dark. Uh, I, so, I, I mean, I echo most of what you said, DK, about, I mean, there's no one philosophy as much as, I think my main mindset when I go into draft is, you always want to know your league. It's like, you got to know the terrain you're invading and like invading Russia is different than invading France. And if you're going into a league, like there's just one league I knew that this is random, but it was an auction league. And I just noticed after a few years that every year, the num the first player off the board always went for the exact dollar amount that was suggested. Like nobody wanted to spend all their money first. Oh, that's interesting. And, yeah. and basically for years on ESPN, like the, the suggested like $61 for Adrian Peterson was just a, you know, that was way cheap. They were getting the number one back would go for 60 and then the next person would go for 75. And so I just basically built my entire strategy around. I'm going to get, I forget who it was that year. I'm going to get the number one running back overall for the price. And then I built everything else out around that. And that year I was going to like, okay, I'm building around this. But then there are some times where I'm like, oh, well I have this pick in the draft. I only like these four running backs. I guess I'm going to have to go receiver first. So what are I going to do from there? And then it's a combo of knowing what you can know ahead of time with then letting things come to you. Then you're like, oh my God, I had no idea that I would get, you know, whoever you got with the 17th pick or with this budget, what does that change now? So um, it's basically, I think really the key is being able to switch, being able to s realize what strategy you want mid-draft because sometimes you want to know what you're going in, but do you can you like adapt to what's happening in front of you for the first, second, third round or first few people that you got in an auction and then adapting. And actually, there were, like if you're especially at an auction, this is true because you never know when you're going to get a bargain. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you think you're going to have to wait forever and then there's like three players in the first eight picks and you're like, I'm going to have to wait an hour. And you know what I mean? So it really is just being flexible and kind of making a decision after you see how things are unfolding. I also think you have to, you can't fall in love, especially in auction drafts. You have to be yeah. kind of cold-hearted and almost sociopathic in your draft where it's like, if somebody goes too high, I will let them go. Or if somebody I don't like is too low, I will draft them, no matter if I don't like them. I remember I used to do that every year, Marshawn Lynch. I never wanted him. And he was always so cheap because people would be like, oh, I don't know this year. And I'd be like, nah, $11 for Marshawn, I'm good. And then he would have 10 touchdowns. And I was like, I gotta get over this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the other thing that the other thing that matters is is the setup of your league, the rules of your league, and yeah. um, you know if you, if it's a tight end premium league, that changes things. If it's a league where you start three receivers, that's that's obviously different too. So when we're talking about run, zero running back, which is going to be kind of the, the 
I guess like the, you know, anchor of this, this pod, but really it's an excuse to talk about late round running backs that we like also, but to be clear, like zero RB works best in such in, in leagues where it's PPR typically because you're, you're targeting running backs that are pass catchers. And, um, generally speaking, like standard scoring type leagues, and it also actually works better if you're starting more, if, if it's a league that you have to start more receivers because then you're getting higher value, you know, receivers instead of taking running backs early. So um, keep that in mind yeah, when, if, when if, we're kind of talking about zero RB. It's not as effective in yeah, if, the, if there's two receiver leagues. spots, if there's two receiver spots in your in your team and there's a 10 team league, there's only 20 receivers starting at the receiver spot each week. It's not great because everyone's going to have really great receivers. But if you have three and then maybe two flex spots or whatever. Right. And if there's then more it's flex a hu- spots, and then, yeah. Yeah, and then you could start five receivers, then it's a huge difference. And exactly. so it's the, the deeper, and obviously it's, if it's a 12-team league or, or more or whatever, then the, the same logic applies. And, and one thing Pat Corain points out on his Established the Run article about Zero RB that is interesting, it's just about, basically, a lot of the strategy boils down to you want your team to be at its best at the end of the season, not the start. And teams who are RB heavy look really good at the start of the year. And, and they usually week ones through four or whatever, it's like all systems go, but running backs get hurt more. He pointed out that RBs drafted in the first five rounds are 200 to 360% more likely to suffer a serious injury than wide receivers. Uh, Say that again. How much? 200 to 360% more. (laughs) And I mean, even if you just think about it, like you can win your league on the waiver wire, but it's normally with running backs. I mean, you look back, you think of like guys like DeMarco Murray, who I think people picked up middle of the year that one year. Derrick Henry, two years ago, I remember I got him in like week 12 and I ended up winning my league because I got him. That doesn't happen with wide receivers. It's rare that a wide receiver shows up week 11 and just takes off, even if a top guy gets hurt. If if Devonta Adams goes down, Marquez Valdez-Scantling isn't going to become Devonta Adams. But if Zeke goes down, Tony Pollard can come pretty close to being Zeke. Right. And so when you draft a lot of wide receivers early, you're essentially drafting anti-fragile players who will last the test of time when running backs statistically don't so by playoffs come playoffs um you could be a lot more injured than you want to be and yeah. the reason that this really I, I i'm really intrigued by zero running back this year but also just i like it in general is that it checks two really important boxes for a strategy in fantasy which is one humility which is that nobody knows the future and like don't actually pretend not to reveal the curtain too much but no one knows what the hell is going to happen every year and especially with running backs, a lot of it's just unpredictable and just leaning all the way into that. There's a strength and the humility of saying, I don't know what's going to happen as opposed to being obviously Leonard Fournette's going to get 400 carries this year. And the second one is also obviously zagging when everyone zigs. And I think together the humility and then contrarianism is a powerful combo. To be clear, I think we should probably say this explicitly. Like zero RB does not mean zero running backs on your team. It just oh, means... Yes. This is a branding issue. It's the opposite. <laughs> it's a lot of running backs. It's zero running backs early. Up top. Right. Zero. Yeah, so we like, need a new name for it, maybe. But maybe it's clickbaity. I don't know. By the end of this podcast, let's rename zero running back because it really, it's bad branding because it's like, why would you have zero? It's actually just like you either get one person in the first round and then you just kind of ignore it for like a long time or you don't even bother and you just pick, sweep up all the valued receivers and tight end, if you will, in the first five or five rounds or so, because those are safer bets. And then you just 
basically pick all these running backs for all these reasons we've been talking about. But you have a lot. You probably have more running backs on your bench than most people do. So it's zero good running backs. I will say when you try this, if you try this on a mock draft, you're not going to like your team. It looks weird because <laughs> right. you're in like round six and you're like, holy crap, I don't have a running back. And my first option is like Cam Akers. And my second pick is, you know, Sony Michelle. And you're like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. But the whole point is, is you got to figure out how to pinpoint those values late in your draft of running yeah. backs in the six, seven, eight rounds who are actually going to end up as strong RB2s come the end of the year. Craig, you you said the word, I thought I think I think it's a very interesting word, anti-fragile, anti-fragility. Um, basically it's a stock market term, I believe. And what it stonks? alludes what it stonks, stonks what, yes. it, what it alludes stonks. to essentially <laughs> is that um fragile assets, in this case fantasy football players, um, if you have if you have those on your team, you know, when chaos happens, when injuries happen, when certain things that you just can't predict happen your team will crumble under those situations. And any fragile team thrives when that happens. So you're going against the grain. You're kind of like betting against the market a little bit. Like you're betting against normalcy, I guess. And, and, you're, and, and you're hoping for that chaos because your team is built to thrive in that chaos. So I think it's just very fascinating, like theoretic, like the, theoretical strategy. You know, obviously, I, I don't know if I would use it for all my teams because you know, like Craig said, it's like, you just, it doesn't feel good right away, but it is something it's fun. I think fun to play around with and in some seasons. And if you do it right, it can be very, very successful. Okay. Well, let's get to the guys who are good targets. Yeah. So we kind of separated it out into two different tiers of guys. So basically mid round targets that you can, you can target after grabbing like some really elite tight ends and receivers early on in your draft. And also, if you want to get a running back in the first round, like that's totally fine. It's, you know, basically depends on how your auction shakes out or if you have one of the first four or five picks. So that's not so important as much as what happens from there on out. I think the true, a true zero running back thought would be that even those guys are risky. Um, even Christian McCaffrey is risky. So don't do it. So, but again, it, it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. It's kind of more like a philosophy. So anyways, Going back to like mid-round players that you can target, like I said, once you've grabbed three or four really good, really safe receivers or tight ends early on in the draft, I'm, I think we started around like round five. Um, the first guy that kind of came to my mind was DeAndre Swift from the Lions. And I think Swift has a few things working against him going into the season. Number one, he's a rookie, so people don't really know what he's going to look like on the field. And number two, he had a rel like relative to like a lot of these other running backs in this draft, a terrible landing spot. So I'm looking at Swift and I, I, I recognize that it's a little contrarian inside an already contrarian strategy because people were, people are really, really fading Swift at this point, like not confident. They think it's going to be a running back by committee there. They don't trust Daryl Bevel. They don't trust the lions in general. You know, it's just not a, it's not a sexy landing spot for him. But if you go back, and I like to do this with some guys just because I think people can be moved a little bit too much by landing spot and things like that. And AJ Brown might be an, an example of that where people maybe faded him a little bit because he landed in Tennessee where you're, you know, you're just not really confident in that offense, but he turned out to be a total stud. So, um, but if you look at Swift, like before the combine, he was generally considered, I think, the consensus RB1 right up into the combine. Jonathan Taylor ran a 4-3. For fantasy or for real life? 
for I'm I'm talking more like dynasty and also real life, but I I think a lot of people still had him as their RB one even after Taylor ran a four three and kind of the hype train just like blew up with Taylor and then he got really big and then also as the draft happened, uh, Clyde Edwards Lair got picked by the Chiefs and so he surpassed Swift as well. So basically, these situations dictated that Swift fell behind, you know, fell into the background, even though. You know, before this all kind of happened, a lot of people thought he was the best back in the draft. Like, and, and the other thing is, he was con- like con- constantly praised as an extraordinary pass catcher, which is obviously crucial, crucial in fantasy. So, you know, the talent's there, the pass catching skill is there, the, the entire skill set is there. Basically, what people are fading him for is the landing spot. But I actually don't think it might be, I don't think it's as bad as people might think it is. Going into Detroit, he's going to be competing against Kerryon Johnson, who can't stay healthy, isn't especially strong as a pass catcher. So I think he is the lock solid, you know, from day one, like the pass catching back, I would say, is like his floor in that offense. Um, Bo Scarborough is there. He's a former seventh rounder who's bounced around. He's on his third team now. You know, they draft a guy, Jason Huntley, in the fifth round. He's like 180 pounds. I don't think he's going to necessarily be sealing a ton of work from a guy that they drafted just outside the first round. And, you know, you got other guys like Wes Hills, a small school uh, undrafted free agent. So in my mind, at worst, like Swift is a theoretic type player in that Lions offense. That's it's an, uh, that's a player that, you know, we've seen Matt Stafford play with him going back to 2014. Riddick saw 50 plus targets every season from 2014 to 2018. Um, to add a little context, he was the RB 18 in 2015, the RB eight in 2016. Uh, and that's per game average. So he was getting a lot of work in the passing game. And that's obviously different coaching staff. You know, it's a different, almost different era back then. But I still think a, a pass catching back's role and, a, and, a, and a, the predictability of pass catching back has somewhat to do with the quarterback because quarterbacks are willing to check it down, use their running backs in the passing game. They tend to do that year over year. I think Phillip Rivers is kind of like the perfect example of that. Like he really relies on that. So, um, so you don't mind DeAndre Swift being your first running back if you're going zero RB? I mean, I think it'd be fine. I, I think, you know, you could maybe like, you could maybe talk me into some of these other rookies before him if they fall that far. But I still think... But we're saying that they don't. In this area, I, I still think he's a fine, fine pick, even in year one, because I think people are fading him for the landing spot a little bit too much. I think he's almost become a value at this point. Well, there you go. The only thing I have to say about DeAndre Swift, and I was listening to the Fantasy Points podcast which people should check out. It's really good. It's just that Daryl Bevel offenses, they don't pass a lot to running backs. Yeah, um, yeah. 13 years as offensive coordinator, uh, Daryl Bevel has given his running backs more than 60 targets once. And his running backs have never seen more than a 12% target share and almost 20 running backs had that last season. So I guess my only worry would just be if he's like half a pass catcher and half a runner, he's just, he's kind of, he, he's just in the margins too much in the offense would be my yeah. only worry. I mean, and that's, I don't love that's definitely either. the that's definitely the worry is that maybe their offense is just not designed to that. Maybe like they're too, you know, chuck it deep too much or something like that with Bevel, you know, as the play caller. But again, I think until I see him in this offense, like I'm going to be bullish on him, I think, just because I think he's a good player. And I don't think they took him early second round, like a few picks in the second round uh, to just be like sort of this guy that they randomly use sometimes. I think that they've got a plan for him. 
Yeah, and we talked about injuries. I mean, if if Carryon Johnson goes down, I mean, Swift could completely change your team. So that's another reason why he might work for zero RB. Yeah, yeah. Gregory, you got another mid rounder for zero RB. Another rookie. I like Cam Akers a lot. He's going as the RB twenty seven. So outside of the RB two range, as an early RB three on your team. Um, so he's he's on the Rams. He's replacing Todd Gurley. He could just straight up be the lead guy in an offense with a lot of open touches. 223 carries and 49 targets went to Gurley last year. I went back and read DK's assessment of Cam Akers and just reading about him. He's a capable three down back. He's dynamic, elusive, athletic runner. He can catch the ball. He's got great footwork. He had a terrible, like a horrific offensive line Mm -hmm. at Florida State. The Rams offensive line isn't great, but it's not the worst in the league. And um, they have Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson. And and Daryl Henderson has not panned out to be the Alvin Kamara that Sean McVay proclaimed him to be. <laughs> and Les Snead said that Shocking. Malcolm Brown is going to be the short yardage guy. Daryl Henderson's going to be the home run hitter, which to me is just like a BS way of saying he's not going to play that much. Yeah, they're only going to put him in when he has 80-yard touchdown runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Akers is there in quotes, go-to guy is what he said. So, I mean, even if he can take 80% of what Todd Gurley did, he, he could be a legitimate RB2 having over 200 opportunities on what I think will be a good Rams offense. And if they run in more 12 personnel more and have two tight ends on the field, maybe that'll help him as a runner. I love that. Do you think related to this, like, you know, for late, 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 maybe your last pick, do you think Brown is worth a, worth a grab in this scenario just because he could get all that goal line work? Definitely. Because in that article that Corrine wrote, he was talking about how the guys to look at are, are guys who get the ball inside the 10, and guys who catch passes. And that's like the sweet spot. He called it the green zone, which was inside the 10. And that's how you want to basically rank your late round guys because all the the rushes outside of the 10-yard line are are just like unimportant yards. And Derrick Henry's a guy who gets a lot of those, but he had a historic year last year. But normally, those are like the Sony Michels where you're running in between the 20s and you may get a lot of touches and people sometimes only care about touches. But it's actually, you need to value which touches. And LeGarrette Blunt like ex- like destroyed his ADP in so many years because he got so many inside the 10 rushes. And if Malcolm Brown can do that, then he might be valuable if you get him as your 15th pick in the draft. He's going he's gonna to be a heartbreaker for so many people this year. Yeah, like the he ultimate already, vulture. He yeah. vultured Todd Gurley last year. <laughs> yeah, and the Rams also went from one of the worst offensive lines in the league for the first eight or 10 weeks to really like perfectly average for the final stretch of the season. I'm, I'm not sure how they'll be this season, but they're... They had a lot of injuries and a lot of changes that I think that they're somewhere in between how bad they were running last year and then obviously how good they were the year before. I'm pretty confident they'll be in, in between. They changed, you know, they changed their entire scheme halfway through the year. They changed, they went from predominantly outside zone to doing more gaps up in the middle. Um, and, you know, they used tight ends more. So it, it was a, it was a very intriguing I guess, development. And we don't know exactly what they're going to do next year. Like, are they going to go back to this really heavy wide zone thing that they did a couple of years um, before that? Or, you know, are they going to kind of do what they did the second half of last year? And it's hard to predict and it's hard to, it makes it hard to predict like what they're going to do in the passing game. But I still think, I think that this will be a good run team. I think that's McVay's. It's funny because, you know, people talk about how genius McVay is and the same people probably talk about how passing is so much more important, but McVay, McVay and Shanahan are, are run first coaches and McVay's talked about how the run, the run game is the foundation of their offense and everything flows off the run game and play action. So um, I think we can safely say they're going to run the ball a lot, but that's about as far as we can go in terms of predicting kind of how yeah. it all shakes out. If any running back could have a Kareem Hunt-like rookie season this year out of all the rookie running backs, I think it's Cam Akers. 
Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising. He's he's so athletic. He's good. Okay, so I am just surprised by like the endorsements these the Swift and Acres are getting because I have someone that I just am baffled by their ADP. This is a great like, one. On average, Damian Williams, the should have been maybe Super Bowl MVP of the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe you're on the hottest take. This is the Um, Is He is being drafted on average 92nd overall. He is the 35th running back going uh, in draft so far. I understand that the Chiefs spent their first round pick on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I would just like to counter that Damian Williams had six touchdowns in the playoffs and has just been the number one running back on the best offense in football and everyone is just pretending that this rookie will just obviously and automatically just be the only fantasy relevant dude. Meanwhile, the actual starter who has not been dethroned yet is available five rounds later, six rounds later. And to me is like the epitome, like the quintessential zero running back choice because you've got someone who has already gotten the job and it's not like he just fell into it. Like last year he got hurt in training camp and the chiefs were adamant. Like he's our starter. We don't care. Like, like we understand he's not in practice right now. He's our starter. And then there's this year where he's going into it. I understand that Clyde Edwards will overtake him. I'm obviously in the long run and probably at some point this season. And I probably would take Clyde Edwards before Damian Williams, but I find it baffling. He's available in the 90 overall spot. Like, like that's crazy to me because in week one, Damian Williams is probably going to be the starter. Like Clyde Edwards Alaire hasn't spent much time with Patrick Mahomes this offseason. Damian Williams will be the starter in week one. And like, you can get the chiefs week one running back in like, with like your 10th, like 10th pick. That's crazy to me. So, and again, Andy Reid after the draft said, about about Clyde Edwards-Helaire, you can't do it with just one guy in today's football. So we've got a whole lot of these guys now. It's going to be a backfield dominated by Williams and Alaire. I think it's going to be way closer to even for the first half of the season. That's a crazy value to me. And you know, it's almost always a smart move in a running back by committee is just draft the cheaper guy. Draft the cheaper guy. And also the cheaper guy is rarely the incumbent starter who was just outrageously good in the Super Bowl. So I, I don't know. I, I just I, I will. I think I'll have a lot of Damian Williams this year. I feel like but the history of of first round running backs and volume, it, like it's it's very, very rare that a first round running back doesn't get the most volume. And it's in Andy Reid has only drafted one other first round running back, and it was LaShawn McCoy. I'm not saying Damian Williams is going to be better in fantasy this year than Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I'm not saying I would draft Damian Williams ahead of just like the value. He's valuable. I'm saying that Edwards-Alaire going I mean, some people are seeing him as like mid-20s or mid-30s. And then Damian Williams going in the 90s. We're talking about zero running back. And the whole premise of this is in some ways like basically let's just assume we don't know the breakdown of the backfield as well as we think we do. Damian Williams is number one on my list by far. I'm looking at the ADP from 2019 right now from Fantasy Pros. Damian Williams, at least on this list, it was August 2nd, was 24 overall. I wonder That's what if I'm pe- saying. People like, are like, just like, like mad about. I guess here, here's the way I look at it. Getting burned by him last year. Here's the way I look at it. If Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets most of the backfield carries and Damian Williams has it, okay. Worst case, you've got a guy getting thirty percent, forty percent of the snaps in the best offense in football, and he'll be startable as your flex, maybe. And then the upside is: Will it be really shocking if eight weeks through the season, Damian Williams is like? just getting the most of a committee and like he's getting the most snaps and Clyde Edwards-Alaire is getting slightly less. Is that shocking? I'd be pretty I surprised. Know. I'd be pretty surprised. 
I mean, not every it's very I would say it's very rare for that to happen, but it does happen. So it's, you know, I'm uh, I like him for zero. But Dika, who do you who do you like better? All right. So I, I think a, I think a very good target in this in this range is Kareem Hunt from the Browns um, yeah. for for a number of reasons. Number one, like he's a really good he's a really good handcuff. And, and that's but that's not really the only reason I like him. I think he has standalone value um, because at least based on how they used him last year, we still there's there's certainly uncertainty whether he'll get all of the passing down usage that he did last year under a different coaching staff. So I think that's baked into his ADP right now. He's you know around a fifth rounder, but he would he he proved to be a very very good pass catcher from week ten on after he uh, served his suspension. He was the RB seventeen in the NFL, averaged twelve point seven PPR points per game. Nick Chubb, for a little comparison, 13.0 PPR uh, points per game in that stretch. So they were like basically even to finish the season in PPR league. So um, clear standalone value. He's, you can get it very, very late. Uh, and then also the added bonus, if Chubb goes down, he's like a, a league-winning type player. He he led the NFL in rushing his rookie season. He's done it. It's not a question and Nick of Nick Chubb if, almost led the league in rushing last year. Right. It's not a question of if he can do it or it's not... You know, people are excited about this rookie, which obviously we are excited about rookie players. Like we've seen him on the NFL field, breaking tackles, being a very good pass catcher. So he's in a, he's in a very kind of unique situation because, you know, he's behind one of the best running backs in the NFL. But at the same time, you know, if they use him in a similar fashion as they did last year, he could be a very, very good value at this spot. So he he's like, I would probably maybe even, I would take him over Swift probably just because I think the Browns, are more dedicated to the run, I think, than than the, the Lions. Yeah, Hunt's at the intersection of standalone value and upside. Yeah. And handcuff upside. Craig, you got another mid-round running back target? Yeah, a little bit later, but I actually like Tariq Cohen this year. He's going as the 40th running back um, taken in drafts, and two years ago, he was the 11th best. And, you know, the Bears' offense last year was a mess, and he was still the RB27. I mean, he was almost uh, RB2 on your team. Even if both years seem unrealistic, even if 2018 was too good and 2019 was kind of his floor, if he's somewhere in the middle, I mean, that's in between RB11 and RB27. That's an RB2. And the Bears throw the ball. I feel like people think the Bears run the ball a lot. They kind of don't. They threw the ball the 14th most times last year. Regardless of who the quarterback is, I think Tariq Cohen is going to get a lot of targets. They, they didn't sign back Taylor Gabriel. There's not a lot of people to throw the ball to on the Bears. And I think Tariq Cohen was a steal as the RB40. I want to I wanna I wanna play a quick game here. How many, how many running backs do you guys think had? Don't look it up. And if you already did, then this is cheating. But how many running backs had a hundred plus targets last year? Uh well, I'm McCaffrey. trying to I know like McCaffrey Fournette, I think, did. Yep. Yeah. Fournette had McCaffrey, 100. Fournette and Tariq Cohen. Is that right? It was I bet you probably came Kamara didn't because he was hurt too much. Kamara had 97. So it was McCaffrey, mm. Eckler. Oh, Eckler didn't make McCaffrey it. had 142 targets. Jeez. Austin Eckler, 108. Tariq Cohen, 104. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's getting far less valuable targets because they're all just sort of like of the dump-off nature. He, he had 79 receptions for five, uh, 456 yards. So it's not like he's getting a ton and ton of like real meaningful volume, but... You can't discount 104 targets. Well, DK, I mean, but DK, here's my question for you. Here's my question for you. How much was the Bears offense designed uh, for Mitchell Trubisky's, we'll call them limitations, and then what do you think it looks like with Nick Foles? Or do you think they're not going to change much? 
I don't, I, let me, let me be clear. I don't think I would not bet on Cohen getting a hundred plus targets again. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with, they used him as like a de facto slot receiver early on in the season. So he did get, that did boost his numbers a little bit, um, or quite a bit, but, um, I do think overall, like the, the offense, the bears will be better this off this season. And that could certainly help, you know, just Cohen's touches be more valuable too. I still think they have a role for him. Like I, I agree with you, Craig. I think right now he's probably really, really far undervalued based on just the volume he's going to get. I also just think he's, you know, he's very explosive player. So he has that upside to be, you know, hit those home runs when he gets some actual, some like green in front of him because the offense is just a little more effective next year. But Danny, yeah, they, they used him as I think like a check down option last year. They used him as a de facto slot receiver for a while when Anthony Miller was hurt. Um, so, you know, there's going to be changes this season and you can't bank on him getting hundred plus targets, but I do think he will be a, a bigger part of that offense than people might guess. Do you like Tariq Cohen or Cam Akers better? Uh, Cam I would Akers. take Akers over Cohen. Just, just he's Tariq just Cohen or have, Damian Williams. I, per, uh, I probably, that's, mm, that's pretty close. I'd probably go Cohen. Kareem Hunt or DeAndre Swift? Yeah, that's a close one too. I'd probably go Hunt. Just because he's done it in the in the NFL. You watch. Carryon Johnson's going to be like great this year, and it'll just <laughs> that'll everything rip up. Craig's heart out. Yeah. All right. So, do you guys want to talk about some like late late round type players that deep you can cuts? Grab? Yeah, the deep cut players. These are some of these are going to be, you know, pretty clear handcuffs, and then some of them will be guys that could have some standalone value. I I, I lumped two rookies together that I think could actually have some stand standalone value in addition to being obvious handcuff players. But that's Joshua Kelly with the Chargers. Right now, he's ADP 218, RB62, so very, really? very late. A.J. Dillon of the Packers, ADP of 173, running back 49. Both of these guys have a direct line to potentially function as their team's goal line backs. So Kelly, he's like 218 pounds. He's in a backfield right now with Eckler and Justin Jackson. Eckler is 200 pounds, Justin Jackson 198 pounds. So both of these guys are pretty, you know, on the small side for running back position. Well, it's not just he's 218. I don't think anyone else in their backfield's over 200 in the Chargers. Right. And he, so I think his role, you know, from day one is to be that between the tackles grinder. Um, you know, he ran really well. He he I think it was like in the four fives, he showed good athleticism. You know, he's just kind of a no nonsense between the tackles grinder, and I think he'll he'll factor in at the goal line. Do you know how many times people have said that about you at the ringer, DK? Just a no nonsense <laughs> grinder, matter of fact grinder. I don't know how to feel about that. I think that's probably a good thing ultimately, but um, <laughs> you know, it's you just always dream about being like the Austin the great Eckler, thing. The Austin Eckler is the world, man. Like just so much more fun to watch. But uh, anyway, getting back on topic. So Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> no nonsense, Joshua. I Kelly. love having DK go back to talking about football. <laughs> it's always funny to hear him try and go. I back wish I was it. no, no. I wish I was a nonsense guy, but back to football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, I think you guys caught me there. Did you set, <laughs> did you set that up? That was that was bullshit. No. <laughs> anyway, all right. So getting back you're, to you're my, saying why the Chargers rookie third third string running back is going to be their their best. Yeah, getting back to my value. Getting back to my outline here, uh, Melvin Gordon. Got 13 carries from inside the five yard line last season, which was seventh most in the NFL. So he was he was their clear. You know they had a delineation of roles last year clearly with with uh, Melvin Gordon and Eckler. And, and keep in mind, Gordon only 
he missed the first four games of the season. So I believe it was four. I believe it was four. So anyway, some would say he also missed the next three anyway, but yeah, (laughs) he had 13 carries from inside the five yard line. So he was clearly their inside, they're like their red zone goal line type guy. I think Kelly could, in theory, grab like that role immediately. I don't know if they're going to be at the goal line quite as much this year, you know, because their offense could take a step back. We'll see. But I think that gives him that kind of value where like you're getting a guy who could score like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten points a week. And that's if he is just only playing that role. So I like both these guys, but like I'm surprised you grouped them together because while I, I like Josh, I mean, actually just drafted both of these guys in a dynasty draft I did. So it's, but I feel like Dylan's clearly the better spot because there's word that Jamal Williams, who's been the backup there in Jones for a little bit, where he might get cut before training camp. Um, and then, like, because the Packers might have to sign a receiver. And then just Josh Kelly, like Justin Jackson's there, whereas the Packers, it's kind of like, they just drafted AJ Dillon in the second round. Like he's huge. Like what else is it going to do if not yeah. be a goal line back? Whereas the chart, it's not shocking if Josh Kelly doesn't have a role. It would be pretty surprising if the Packers cut Jamal Williams and didn't. So like, like I do Dylan like Dylan cl- more. Yeah. Okay. Like, but are they even the same ballpark to you? The reason I grouped them together is because I think both of them, uh, the way that I thought about it is both have standalone value, but both are also like really obvious big upside handcuffs so like that's you know i I would say i would group i would say dylan is far i would way rather have dylan at this point because number one draft capital much higher um you know the size the athleticism i think that the the packers offense probably is going to be better dylan like being 250 pounds you know he's he's like you said he's perfectly suited for that role and by the way uh aaron jones tied melvin gordon last year with 13 carries inside the five yard line so I don't know, you know, exactly how they'll split up the workload between Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, but my guess is Dillon is going to get at least some of that workload inside the five yard line. Cause that's like, you know, that's like why they brought him in. That's why you get a big guy like that who can run four or five and you know's got good feet and all that stuff. Like you want to punish defenses. So I mean, I think, yeah, I think Dillon is probably getting underrated still just because I think people didn't think he was very good, but um I think the Packers clearly have sort of a role and plan in mind for him. Yeah, the Packers have a plan, and we'll see how that plan goes. Well, the yeah, Jordan we'll Love see. era. Um, geez. Okay, Craig, who's a late rounder guy that you like? I uh, kind of like Tevin Coleman on the Niners. You know, um, <laughs> you sound thrilled. You sound just excited. Well, the Niners are the the poster boy for zero RB, though, right? Because remember Raheem Mostert last year. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan just employs zero RB on his own team, kind of. Um, <laughs> so the thing is, is like Tevin Coleman, like I didn't scroll past him and he like jumped out to me and I was like, obviously. But it's, you know, you just kind of look at it. He's going as the 44th running back and Raheem Mostert is going almost 20 spots ahead of him. Um, and like we said earlier, talking about Damien Williams and Clyde Edwards Hilaire, if there's a timeshare and a run heavy offense, getting a cheap running back is a, is a valuable pick. And Matt Breida, who was part of their three-headed horse, has gone. And it's just Coleman and um, Raheem Mostert. There is Jeff Wilson. They have Jarek McKinnon, who restructured his contract. He's working his way back. He I, last I read a blurb about he's still working on trying to make cuts while running. Not necessarily sure he's going to be ready. That's not a great sign. Yeah. But, but Coleman this is... One what? of those things you want to watch in training camp for Definitely. sure. Because who, wh- whether it's Coleman or McKinnon or Wilson, whoever, whoever's second in training camp is the person... Yeah, and you know, 
Shanahan kind of has an infatuation with Tevin Coleman. They've been together a long time. He really likes him. And Coleman outtouched all of the running backs on the Niners last year while playing less games than Raheem Mostert. Um, he didn't score as many points. He, he wasn't as effective on the field, but he's probably the most talented p- pass catcher. And he's going to have a role. And 20 spots later than Raheem Mostert, 20 running backs later than Raheem Mostert, I think he's a value. Yeah, that's the thing too. Mostert didn't catch passes in this offense. He was not the pass catching back for them. And and Coleman has that history in the Shanahan offense. Like he was that was a big part of it when when he was in Atlanta. He was kind of like their pass catching guy, light up in the slot, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is really smart. You just want a piece of that. You want a piece of that run game. One of any- my favorite stats from last season is that among running backs in yards before contact per attempt, which is a Broad sweeping, but basically how good is your blocking? It's not that simple, yeah. but you know, how far did you get before you got hit? Raheem Ostrup was number one and Matt Breida was number two. And now Breida's gone. And also Tevin Coleman was ten. So three Niners running backs in the top ten for Jeez. yards before contact per, uh, per attempt. Love that. DK. I'm actually kind of surprised we haven't mentioned this guy yet because he's another very good option, I think, in this in this strategy. Jordan Howard of the Dolphins. Right now, his ADP is 94. Yeah, we, we got to talk. This is supposed to be deep cuts. You're out here giving someone in the top 100 here. What are you talking? I like I plug Damien Williams, who's like going two spots earlier in the mid round section. <laughs> and we got to decide where the mid round ends and the late rounds begin. OK, well, True. let me just say I'm doing this out of order. <laughs> I'm doing this out of order. But let's talk about Jordan Howard really quick. And then I'm going to I'm going to go on the fly here and give you another one. Uh, wow. Jordan Howard, oh, my Jordan God. Howard, just because I called you out. So he belongs in this earlier segment. Sorry. Apologies, Danny. Uh, but anyways, he's slated to start for the Dolphins. He could get, you know, he could get 200 carries in this in the season. Obviously, the, the Dolphins aren't a very good team, but I think their offense has a chance to improve, whether that's uh, Fitzgerald, uh, or I always say Fitzgerald, Fitzpatrick or Tua under center. I don't know who it's going to be, but I do think their offense could improve. And he's the big back in that in that backfield, so he could get goal line work over Matt Breida. I don't know if Breida is very reliable, to be honest. Like he battled injuries last year. So, anyways, I think Jordan is the safer option in that offense. I'm gonna pivot right now, give you another one, and maybe I'll maybe I'll give you two guys, Carlos Hyde and Rashad Penny, because I think actually Carlos Hyde, I think I would rather have over Penny at this point. I'm just a little bit worried about Penny's knee because. Yeah. Um, well, so the Seahawks got Chris Carson. They signed Carlos Hyde last month. People thought yeah. about they were going to sign Marshawn, and then Penny's coming off an ACL injury. Yeah, Carson, and Chris Carson's coming off a hip injury. Carson is coming off. Craig, an injury. Are, are you? Do you feel like cheated on now that DK is trying to get it on your Carlos Hyde love as the number one Carlos Hyde fan on the planet? I know, and now I, I love the Seahawks backfield so much now. Yeah, <laughs> DK. So why Carl? Why Carlos Hyde? Um, mainly just because the Seahawks love to run the football. They're always among the league leaders in you know i guess like the run rate and carson is the clear number one and i don't i'm not worried about him losing his job necessarily on merit but he has had injury issues in the past and you know the the fumble thing is still a clear concern going forward but to me the biggest thing is just like is he going to be healthy you know i don't think he's healthy yet they've said that he's slated to start the season but um i just think there's a chance you know, by the by, the end of the day, that that Carlos Hyde is like starting for the Seahawks, and that's not necessarily. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be like a big volume producer as a pass catcher, but the Seahawks did make it a big emphasis last season to pass to the running backs more often. That was a big thing for Brian Schottenheimer in the off season for some reason um, to get uh, get their running backs more involved in the passing game. Um, and you know, them signing Carlos Hyde to me tells me that they're not necessarily going to trust guys like Travis Homer. 
uh, DJ Dallas this early. Those two guys, I think, more like special teams backups. Type Who among players. us doesn't trust Travis Homer? <laughs> I mean, I love Travis Homer, but I believe they drafted him because he's a very good special teamer. And I think DJ <laughs> Dallas is the same same sort of deal. So, um, but yeah, so I think you know, just with Chris Carson being a somewhat, you know, I don't know if I really really trust him to play the full season. So. I think that that makes Carlos Hyde like a very good handcuff slash, you know, he's, he might even get like a rotational duties with Carson. There you go. Craig, you got a late round sleeper for us? It's kind of like Naheem Hines. Now that Philip Rivers is his quarterback, check down King, built Austin Eckler's career, built Danny Woodhead's career. And Frank Reich is the, is the play caller. And Frank Reich was the play caller when Danny Woodhead was the RB three in 2015. And with Darren Sproles a couple of years after that and, Naheem Hines and Philip Rivers kind of seem like a dump-off match made in heaven. So he's he's going 163rd overall. So I just think it's worth mentioning his name. I did not like this idea when you said it. And then by the end of you saying it, I was very on board with this. <laughs> Thank you. Good. That was, that was quick. Yeah. No, I just, that, that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> are you not worried Nahim, about, are you worried about Marlon Mack at all? Yeah, but I think actually what you just said makes sense. I mean, the worst case scenario here is it's a three. I mean, I think every the consensus is this will be a three running back committee between Taylor, Mack, and Hines. It'll be really difficult for any of them to be like consistently um, grabbing a hold of it to like be a standout person. And like no one's going to be a feature. No one's going to be a number one running back for you. And no, the third running back is probably not going to be a thing. But if Hines usurps Mack or honestly, Taylor has fumble issues which people don't like to talk about. And Mac has been had injury issues. So if either of them gets hurt, it actually would make a lot of sense to me if Hines became just one of a two-person backfield. And that would be really intriguing. Like Austin Eckler light. That's fascinating to me. All righty. I'm going to do a little lightning round here. Kind of like handcuff city. Because I was just perusing. And I was thinking, all right, if I'm doing a zero running back draft, and I just was perusing the average draft position, and a few of these blew me away. First off, Jacksonville Jaguars, Reichel Armstead, Chris Thompson, both going undrafted. I don't, I feel like, look, we love Lenny Forns in this podcast. We absolutely love him. Understand that Jaguars had like no rushing touchdowns last year. They're poised for a huge year. Am I the only one who remembers that Leonard Fournette was like about to get traded like six weeks ago and that the Jacksonville front office is a dumpster fire that has basically sent away all of their good players and that Yannick Ngakwe, their defensive end, is currently begging for a trade on Twitter. And I just feel like, first of all, there's a chance he's not even on the team in August. Second of all, the fact that the uh, that Doug Marone is perhaps the m most likely coach to get fired first. And once the coach is fired, all playing time bets are off. The new front off, like the, the Tom Coughlin's gone. So, the front office isn't committed to Fournette. They declined his fifth year option. He's a free agent after the, like ever. He doesn't have the job security that I think people see. So the fact that both of his backups are going undrafted is kind of amazing to me. All right, that wasn't so lightning round, but <laughs> uh, the other one person just Latavius Murray on the Saints. I mean, he's not going undrafted or anything. He's going like 120th or so. But I mean, when Alvin Kamara got hurt, Latavius Murray was a top five running back twice in a handful of starts. Zeke Elliott yeah, was a top pretty, five running back four times the whole season. <laughs> he looked pretty amazing, to be honest. Yeah. Murray looked great. Like, you look at his stats, none of them are like amazing. I mean, touchdown stats are great. But when you watch Latavius Murray last year, you're like, oh, wow, this guy could totally be a top five fantasy running back if he was ever like if Kamara was out. Every, and in a week to week game where Kamara's hurt, like week to week league, he's an absolute top 10 running back every week that Kamara's out. 
um, which is what you're looking for. And on that same note, Tony Pollard on Dallas, borderline on draft. He's going like 140th. I mean, Craig, you said this at the top. Like every week Zeke is out, Tony Pollard might be a top five running back. I mean, you straight up might not be able, like the guys you might have over Pollard every week, if Zeke is out, you might count on one hand. And that's ultimately, if we're talking about upside at the end of your bench, zero running back, which is about, you know, running backs are risky and also it's a week to week game. He might have standalone value if Zeke isn't playing anyway, because McCarthy famously has just been kind of like mixing up running backs while he's been a coach. And then also Pollard was a receiver in college. McCarthy once took Ty Montgomery from receiver, putting up running back. I'm curious if Pollard might get snaps at receiver. Um, ESPN's Todd Archer said that was possible, but ultimately it's about upside. And I just, Craig, you said this top of the show. It's like Tony Pollard, like what a great last pick. And then last up, same thing, Alex Madison. We mentioned the top of the show. Dalvin Cook might hold out. Even if he shows up with a week left, like he's still going to be rusty and Madison will therefore have to get more share anyway. And it's not just about the holdout. Like obviously if Dalvin Cook holds out, Madison's valuable. The point is that Dalvin Cook has not been consistently healthy in his career and Madison's still valuable. And even if Cook shows back up, Madison still has value. There's my not so light. It was more like thunder than a lightning round. That was like a thunder round. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to throw out a few more guys. And these are uh, these are just more like what of my favorite handcuffs, I guess. Um, Darrington Evans on the Titans, just because I think he's a perfect fit for that wide zone offense that they do. That's exactly what he did in college. Very explosive player. I don't know if he's necessarily ever got like, He's not going to be like a workhorse type back in the NFL potentially, but I think if you know if Derrick Henry goes down and we saw him have a hamstring injury last year, those hamstrings can be really finicky. Um, so he could have the type of you know weekly RB one upside if 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 uh, you know Henry is out or whatever. The other guy that I was going to mention is um, Giovanni Bernard of the Bengals is an interesting option because we've got we've already got Joe Mixon threatening to hold out. But it's the same kind of deal, I think, is like early on in the season, he could have some some value. He could have like, I'm definitely not going to compare him to like Austin Eckler, but he could have that ability to step into like the lead role and function as a like three down back in that offense. So, you know, Gio Bernard, if Joe Mixon does decide to hold out, uh, is definitely some early season value. But then, you know, if there, if there's any injuries there, I think he's, he's they, they re-sign him to a relatively big running back deal. For a reason, I think they like him there. He's good in the passing game. He's explosive. So he's a pretty good handcuff as well, too. One more. I mean, there's multiple because we could talk about the Steelers backfield, too. But uh, Chase Edmonds, to me, looks like the clear handcuff, you know, in that backfield for in the, Card- for, in the Cardinals offense. Kenyon Drake. If Kenyon Drake goes down, I think Edmonds is the guy. And that's what you really want to look for in a handcuff. You yeah. know, if you're really going handcuff, you want the guy who's going to be the guy because it's not always clear. Um, and I think Chase Edmonds is that. Craig is happy to say Kenyon Drake's never had more than 170 carries in a year. So as great as he was, that's that's a good. I do like Kenyon Drake though. I think he's very good. We, we all like Kenyon Drake. We're just Craig, pointing out who's the handcuff. Who's the handcuff in Pittsburgh? Real quick, Anthony McFarland. Ooh, that's a, so they've got. I mean, they've got Connor, Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, and Benny McFarland. So I think the issue in Pittsburgh is there's a few teams that. There will be a person that emerges. We don't know who that person is yet because we don't know who the number two back will be, and we'll have to learn that in training camp. The Steelers are like the number one example of that. I think Washington is a key example of that with like how much are they giving to Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson, are they going to cut Peyton Barber? Antonio uh, Gibson think, they have. Yeah, exactly. Like, But I mean, I'll be interested to see how much of the workload's going to Darius Geis. Obviously, he's had uh, a lot of knee injuries in the past. 
Also, just wanted to put it on your guys' radar. Steven Ridley is going as the RB176, 818th overall right now. <laughs> just keep an eye on him. He's not on a team, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know how Fantasy Pros even has this. He's going 818th. Okay, we don't have many rules in this podcast, but one of them is that when Steven Ridley comes up, we are going to end the podcast. So to summarize all this, DK Craig, talking about zero running back. We just went through all these names. Please pitch the people and why they should zero running back in 2020. <laughs> Receivers are safer long-term than running backs and running backs are harder to project. And if you can find late round value in running backs, your team will be better come playoffs. DK, pitch the people and zero running back or against it. That's e They're equally welcome. I'm just going to point you back to Pat Crane's uh, article at Establish Run because I think that was a big, that was one of the, you know, impetuses for us to do this show because it's very fascinating. Um, but I'll just quote him. One of the foundation foundational ideas of zero RB is that no running backs are safe. And so I think that kind of gets to the crux of it is like basically you're saying, I don't trust any of these guys. So I'm going to take the guys I do trust early on in the season or early on in the draft. And these are the types of players that are going to get me consistently high scoring, you know, high scoring weekly outputs every week. And then I'm going to hope that these guys later on, I'm going to hope for, for hope for chaos. And these guys later on that I'm grabbing, you know, will kind of get me over the hump late in the season when, when it really matters. So yeah. Cause uh, how often has Julio Jones screwed you? You know what I mean? Right, well, it's just well, bad example, but about? I get He's what you're saying. Uh, but that's the idea. So basically what you're saying here, chaos is a ladder. <laughs> yes, we're yeah, all little finger. A, yeah, that's beautiful. a good way Chaos is a ladder. Stephen Ridley is chaos. This has been the Danacy Football Podcast. Thank you, DK. Thank you, Craig. Thank you to everyone for listening. Please stay safe. We will see you guys next week. Peace.